Welcome to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, a bi-weekly look at all things related to the growing elite clubs nationally, the ECNL. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. Now, here's your host for Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast, former U.S. soccer press officer and longtime soccer broadcaster, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky once again, handing over the keys to Jason Cutney. This is Jason Cutney, ECNL Boys Commissioner. I'm so pleased to be driving this edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. On this show, we visit with two of the leaders of the Legends FC in Southern California. They are Drew Ray and Eber Mortaya. And this is Drew Ray, the boys director, and it is an honor to have our teams play in the ECNL, and it is also an honor to be on this edition of Breaking the Line. And this is Eber Mortaya, proud to be technical director for Legends FC. I enjoyed chatting with Jason and Drew on this edition of the ECNL podcast. So join Drew, Ever, and me as we learn what has made the Legends FC of Southern California a valued member of the ECNL and how to compete as a youth club in one of the most competitive markets in the country. So the table is set. We turn it over to Jason, Drew, and Ever after this message from the ECNL. As the game continues to evolve in the United States, the ECNL remains the standard of excellence in youth soccer. The Elite Clubs National League has grown to include over 200 clubs and nearly 50,000 players across the country. With a robust competition platform for teams, educational resources for coaches and clubs, and unparalleled identification and development opportunities for players. Alongside its member clubs, collaborating to create a better future, the ECNL continues to raise the game every day. The ECNL is more than a league. Welcome back to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Once again, here's Dean. Again, I am Dean Linky. On behalf of the ECNL, I want to wish each and every one of you a happy new year and a very successful, safe, and healthy 2023. And as I mentioned in the open, so pleased to hand over the keys to the ECNL Boys Commissioner, who always does a great job bringing on amazing guests to the ECNL podcast. So with that, I hand it over to Mr. Cutney. Thank you, Dean, and welcome back for another episode of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. I am Jason Cutney, the ECNL Boys Commissioner, and I'm very happy to be joined today by two guys that have been doing amazing work on the West Coast in Southern California, one of the most talent-rich markets in the U.S. for boys soccer, especially in girls soccer as well, Drew Ray. And Drew's coming at us from Legends. He is the boys director at Legends FC. And Ever Morataya, who is the technical director at Legends. Welcome, guys. Appreciate you joining me on the show today. No problem. Excited Thank to be here. for having us. Absolutely. Well, it, one thing that we should, should be said here, I just saw you guys recently. You've managed to cross the country. You came across to a colder weather than Southern California. Not terribly <laughs> cold, but you made it to South Carolina. So I drew out there on the sidelines for some awesome games. It was great to see SoCal teams mixing it up with the East Coast teams something that we're starting to see more and more. We had, uh, I think Patty Adores was the first one to do it last year at that particular South Carolina event and some others have done it with Florida. But let's, let's just jump into it. What was for you, what was interesting and intriguing about coming over to the South Carolina event? What was a driving force for you guys sending your boys teams this year? Well, I think the biggest thing for us, Jason, was two years ago when we snuck into the playoffs, we had three teams get to the, uh, the playoffs and we were just excited to be there and just we were just thrilled 
Then year two, we kind of outdid ourselves and we were able to get five teams to the playoffs and three teams advanced to the next stage. And at that point, all teams got knocked out except for the nines, the 2009s. And along their path, they played a bunch of California teams. At the end of the year, we kind of evaluated ourselves and said, okay, fantastic year, but what could we do to get better? And Ever and I just, we just felt that if we were going to take that next step as a club and compete at the highest, highest level, we would need to see some of these teams a little earlier. Maybe not the individual teams itself, but the caliber and the level and the style of play and weather conditions, different feels, whatnot. That was the biggest driving force for us. Then talking to Teddy there at Pats, he just felt that that showcase itself was a fantastic one for the different type of coaches, different level of schools. And and a lot of our kids uh, t- two years ago when we went to North Carolina was really intrigued by the overall location, the area, they'd never been out of the, that or into that part of the re, uh, region of the, of the United States. And it all snowballed into say, hey, let's get out there. Let's see these teams early. And it might help us get a little further in the playoffs. You mentioned the, the college scouting side of it as well and being exposed to different scouts. I mean, we have seen this on the ECNL side. Obviously, we all know in this country, there's many fewer men's college soccer programs than there are on the women's side. And that is reflected when you go to events with the number of scouts. But We've seen a huge jump this year. Last year in in South Carolina to this year, we nearly doubled in the number. We had just over 350 scouts this year on the boys' side at at our event in South Carolina. When you add in the professional scouts, we're closing in on 400. And it was an amazing opportunity, I think, for all the players. But it's also amazing for those college scouts, right? They come to the East Coast event. They don't oftentimes see SoCal teams come out here. And that was certainly passed on to us. Ever, you've been with U.S. soccer as well. You've done a lot of scouting in your time. I know you scout youth games as well for, uh, for Legends and you've done for other clubs in the past. What are your thoughts on something like that, right? Because that's it's not normal, per se, to have teams fly across the country for a national event prior to the postseason, right? So taking a step like that for a player's what are the advantages? What are the disadvantages when you think of time zone changes, things like that? What, what are you looking at from a scouting standpoint when you're looking at these players? Mostly it's the different kind of players, different type of players, right, uh, in different environments. Obviously here in the West Coast, we're used to a lot of the same kind of players, same styles everybody has. So you can say an identity. When you go and play the CESAs and other teams in the East Coast, it brings something completely different. If he's scouting for college, I think us going there, opens up a, a window, just not for the college coaches, they know our players, but our players meeting and seeing other other coaches and other styles, it's, it's just amazing. Obviously, ECNL being a, a path to college, we want to make sure that we encourage all the families to go out there and get out of our little, I call it a, the Southern California bubble, and go there and, and just experience that. Drew did an amazing job of not just taking the ECNL group to the showcase, but the RL group as well. And that was, I think that was amazing as well. So again, it just bringing our players in a different environment, you know, putting them in a different, the weather you said, the, the fields are different, you know, refereeing is different. All those things are matter. And I think coaches, college coaches are watching the body language of our players, how they react into these things. And all those things are very important, not just the skill, because they know we have the skill, but if I'm bringing a kid to North Carolina for a, for the forces and how they're going to react to these fields, to the physicality, to the refereeing, all those things are very important for us. So what do you think when you look at your club, obviously you do have a number of coaches on staff that are in the college game as well. You talk about educating your players, educating your parents as well. How does that tie in, right? How are you utilizing those college coaches within your club to help better educate the players and the families? I think for us, it's, it's about the education in terms of 
on the field. So the tactical side of it, they're learning a lot from these coaches, the understanding of how to flex into something different, a different formation, different ideas. And then off the field, it's how do, how do they carry themselves? Do they get the good grades? And the focus is from their freshman, sophomore years is really get those GPAs up. Our club does a really good job of making sure that the kids are in our program that are 3.5 and higher, really pushing these kids to make sure that when that door does get opened, not to say that they're guaranteed anything, but if that door does get open for them, can they step through and make sure that they have the good GPA, good personality, good behaviors off the field? And then hopefully their soccer does the talking after that. And then with the coaches, it's it's just a, they've been there. They, they know who to talk to. And that's one of the biggest reasons we did go East is my connections are very limited. And we had some schools that were quite interested in our boys, but I, I didn't know too many guys. And so Ever and I said, hey, look, Let's get out to Richmond, Virginia with the RLs. Let's connect. Let's, let's network a little bit. And then we get to South Carolina. We'll meet more. And, and honestly, Jason, I, I bumped into you the first game. And I, I was a bit skeptical of who would show up 8 o'clock, <laughs> 38 degrees or whatever it was on a Friday morning. And I think there, we counted over 68, 70 coaches for a morning game in the frost. But we were blown away. So that just kind of kick-started the weekend for us, the excitement for the kids, and our coaching staff was just over the moon. So for my previous experience, I was in another West Coast club a couple of years, pre-COVID, I call it. I remember us going to the one of the ECNL showcases. I think it was in Pennsylvania, I want to say, Philly. Uh, us going there, we took three teams. It was the 2001s, 2000s, and 90, and 99s, I want to say, or 2002s. Just playing out there, just experience that we have with, like like Drew said, we didn't know any college coaches there. We know every, everybody here, you can say. And you just open up a, a, whole, a whole new window for our players. So that's one thing that we really, you know, when we're talking with Drew, is like, we really need to check these kids out of here. We have coaches in our group, right? We have very successful coaches in our coaching staff. So we know that we can get those kids here. We know we can push kids here. But once we go there and you start playing random teams like the, I like the NESCAC conference, right? All those coaches are there. That means opens up a whole new world, you can say, to our players. We have very good academic students, GPA students. So from my experience from that previous club, going to the East Coast, even the Midwest, all those co- uh, showcases are, are just amazing. It just opens up a brand new world for these, these players. And those college coaches love our players. I mean, they do. This, you know, we hardly expose them over there. Like I said, Pats did it. Now we did it. I'm sure someone else will follow up with it, but I, we, we definitely liked it. Uh, I know our coaches love the, the experience, you know, so many coaches out there. And for us, again, it's, it's just making sure that we maximize, maximize our, our players' performance and just put them out there, you know, for for a lot of coaches to see them. I mean, that's that's our main job, you know, college pathway. That's our job. That's our philosophy. That's our message to all the parents. It's certainly ringing true this year more than ever that, you know, we just had an event recently in St. Louis as well and, you know, cold weather, right? You're in the these November through March timeframe, which is the thick of the recruitment season for all these programs. And so you know that the weather is going to be tricky in different parts of the country, but by having an event in St. Louis, we also served a, a demographic that normally doesn't have a national event in their zone throughout the regular season, right? They have to wait for a postseason opportunity and we didn't know what to expect because you're in December and you're in St. Louis, but there was over 230 college coaches at this particular event. So it's continuing to trend in a great direction. I think the one thing that has continued to stand out to us above and beyond the, the treatment that we, yes, we do go over and above what we can for the college coaches in terms of providing hot drinks and food and all the chairs and all those types of things. But they're seeing the level of the, of the teams on a constant rise. And that's something that I've seen personally as well, since taking the job 
you know, we can talk a little bit in our next segment about how things change in Southern California after the U.S. Development Academy folded up uh, a few years back. But, you know, let's just focus more on you guys right now, right? The, the current season, you've been in it with these clubs like the San Diego Surfs and the Petiadoras and Beach and, you know, the, the Slammers, you name it. There's a lot of clubs right in Southern California. There's a lot of clubs in Southern California. They're all sharing uh, similar spaces, but you guys are very competitive. You you have always been one of these top clubs this year. It seems like more than ever before, though, you're in the top spot. I think right now you're in the top spot in three different age groups out of six. What's the difference from last year to this year? Is is it a change in player pool, mentality, coaching staff? Like what, what What's going on in Southern California for legends that all of a sudden is showing a pretty significant jump to the top? I'll kind of touch on this and let ever follow up, but post pandemic, it started from there and nothing's changed this year from last year in terms of our players are pretty much the same. I would say our coaching staff is pretty much the same at, at, on our highest teams, our elite platform. It really just comes down to the experience. We've added a couple of kids here or there, but for the most part, um, you look at the teams that are at the top, uh, the sixes, the sevens, the tens, and we're not even talking about our nines who were in the national final last year. They're sitting in third right now it's a half a game out. It's just the experience. And I think that's just what we're trying to do is give these kids more opportunities, more chances. And, you know, when we talk later on about, you know, after pandemic and how it really transpired into what we're doing right now, it's getting these kids more, more game time, get them on the field, get them against tougher competition, get them in the hardest tournaments, get them just facing the best. And you know how it is. It's if you run from it, you're not going to ever get there. And for us, it's like, let's, meet it head on. And, uh, I'll, I'll talk about our 2007s. They were, they were the war, they were the worst team in the league two years ago. They just kept plugging away. They kept focusing. the coach kept driving into them, the tactical sense, the physical sense, what their mentality was and the parents believed in it and they trusted it. And now they're sitting top of the league. And I think they're 20 games, 22 games unbeaten. So they're flying. And to me, that's just a culmination of the mindset for us is like, let's see the best. Let's get against the best. And if we do our job, maybe we can, you know, sit on top of that table. Yeah, just to add to what Drew said, I think he mentioned it, experience. We're just putting ourselves in in bigger tournaments here, playing against the best teams. And from those experiences, just we lose, we win, you know, but we're learning. And that's the thing. Once we learn and we see different kind of teams to play against, now we're able to teach different things. And that's just, we're lucky where we are. You know, we have great facilities. We have great pool of players. So we're putting all those things together and just step by step. Hopefully every year we get better. I know every year, sometimes we're going to go up there, sometimes we're going to drop a little, but the thing is for us, just experience, learning, and teaching. That's our main thing right now, and I think it's working out for us. I mean, five out of the six teams will probably be in playoffs, hopefully, if nothing changes, and the sixth team might be fighting for it in the, in the spring. So it's just, it's just very important for us to keep learning from each other, staff, parents, players. That's our main concern right now. And Jason, if, if I can say another thing, the one thing I love about the Southern California is the networking with the, the other directors. Uh, the one thing I, and I don't think it's been talked about between the groups. You know, you look at Teddy, you look at Mark at beach, Assad at, at heat, Camargo's all these top, top directors. I think our biggest focus is to make West coast the best. And it's not the individual club. It's not just legends and who we are. It's how can we get on that national platform in the playoffs and West Coast get represented as the best club or conference in the country. We played NASA ROFIs who are sitting in eighth place right now. I think we lost three, two. And the, the coach looked at me and said, what place are you in? You know, so it's 
it's one of those things We're we're in such a deep area that if you get out of it and you get to the playoffs, you got a great chance. And, and that's where we feel working together is, is, a, is a huge piece of this. Well, a great first segment here with Drew Rea and Ever Marzaya from Legends FC in Southern California. We'll take a quick break here after a word from our sponsors. The ECNL is pleased to announce Quick Goal as the official goal provider and partner for ECNL Girls and ECNL Boys, a new partnership created to support the growth and development of the country's top players, clubs, and coaches. At all national events, including national playoffs and national finals, the Quick Goal Coaches Corner will provide hospitality and social space for ECNL girls, ECNL boys, and collegiate coaches. Quick Goal will also be the presenting sponsor of the National championship winning ECNL girls and ECNL boys coaches of the year and the ECNL girls and ECNL boys goals of the year. Quick Goal looks forward to helping the ECNL continue to elevate the standards of youth soccer and provide more opportunities to players on and off the field in the coming years. Nike is a proud sponsor of ECNL Girls. Nothing can stop what we can do together to bring positive change to our communities. You can't stop sport because hashtag you can't stop our voices. Follow Nike on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. From athletes just starting to turn heads to some of the best athletes to ever play their games, Gatorade shows that they are the proven fuel of the best. For the athletes who give everything, nothing beats Gatorade the studied, tested, and proven fuel of the ECNL. And we are back with segment two of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. I'm Jason Cutney, the ECNL Boys Commissioner. I'm here with Drew Ray and Eber Martaya from Legends FC. Before the break, we are talking a little bit about the SoCal market and how a club like Legends has done a lot post-pandemic to kind of raise their game, step to the top. They've taken their teams across the country for events, They've gotten as many games as they could, high quality games. They're educating families, they're doing what they can. I'm going to kind of take a step back here for a few years ago. So when I took this position, it was April of 2019, joined the league. And within several months, COVID hit. And, you know, next thing you know, life is starting to change. And then all of a sudden, the U.S. Development Academy had closed its doors on a league that was running successfully for years. And it was a big change around the country. And for me, it was it was certainly a a big change for the ECNL because a number of those clubs moved across to the ECNL. One of the first areas where we saw that remarkably changed was Southern California. And then at that time, our Southwest conference was, was pretty large. It also included Arizona and one club in Las Vegas, but just a high saturation of clubs in SoCal. And all of a sudden you bring in some big, big clubs that have been doing very well in the, in the USDA days and we were kind of left looking at this and saying, I wonder how this is going to go. And that was the number one question that we started looking at. How is it going to work out with these, you know, quote unquote, former DA clubs all around the country, not just in SoCal, uh, mixing it up with the standard, if you will, ECNL clubs. And so that first year for me was certainly eye opening in the sense that we saw it was great. It was great competition. Right. And, and of all those areas in Southern California, we were nervous to see what was this matchup going to look like. You guys were, were there, right? You were living through it at that time. From a club director's perspective, what was the sense? What was the chatter on the ground when the DA came to a close? These clubs all of a sudden joined into the ECNL. And now that next year, you were all on the same fields together. Drew, let's start with you. It was, let's go. <laughs> we were so excited. During that time, probably your transition in, I was just the ECNL director. I, I really 
besides that, that was my only role coaching a couple of UCNL teams. And since I was a college coach, I was kind of, that was my role. So then Brent Broadhurst, who is our 05 boys coach currently was the boys director. And he just decided to step away from that role and, and get into the real world in a different industry. So I jumped into pandemic uh, as my first thing. And the one thing that saved us, or, or I would say helped us, was we transitioned everything to Silver Lakes. Whereas before we were kind of on the outskirts, closer to LA. Uh, that was our region in terms of the, the type of kids that we were going after, the places we were training. So that stuck us in into a Silver Lakes facility. And so everything was revolving around there. And at that point, that allowed us to kind of say to ourselves, okay, where are we at? What do we need to do to improve? And how are we going to compete with these DA clubs? We had the staff. We've always had the staff and uh, we've always had the talent. It's just we would lose those kids at a certain age to those DA clubs. Now, if we were doing it right and we were able to keep these kids because we were at the highest platform, we felt like we had a shot. We had a chance. It just slowly transitioned into the first year. We got a couple of good results and a couple of big wins. And I remember playing a club and we had beat that team. And they said, how, how could you lose to this? You know, you don't come here thinking, you know, you're, it's just going to be easy. How could you lose to this club? And and at that point, I felt like, okay, we're we're making it. We're we're at the next stage of we're not just going to be the the whipping childs of of the league, you know. And uh, the kids transitioned, and we kept the kids that we w- were normally losing. And then, uh, sure enough, our first I think it was our first year after pandemic, we had eighteen kids go off to college, and we just felt at that point we were saying, okay, this is our mark. This is what we need to to market is getting these kids off to school. Don't worry about the professional ranks. Don't worry about everything else. It's like, let's guide our kids to college and we should see the benefits from it. So Ever, same question to you, but I'll kind of phrase it a little bit differently. You're in that type of marketing environment. So Southern California is very different than most parts of the country in the sense that there's so many clubs of high quality in a very small geographic zone. You look at the Atlantis and the Dallas's of the world as well, where you have high saturation of high quality clubs. What is it that you feel differentiates a club, right? You've had experience with different clubs since you've been in Southern California. You've had the experience with the national team on on a scouting standpoint. What do you see as being a differentiation, a point of differentiation for these clubs when it comes to families making those decisions? And what do you think is the biggest stress point that you push forward from legends when that tryout season rolls around? I think what personally I learned and we all learned after the whole DA, you know, disappearing and, and we learned that we, up to a certain age, we were all at the same level. You know, just the DA had the name, right? If you play for a DA team, they were supposed to be much better than you guys. And like I said, if it was, well, everyone wanted to play for DA. And I think when, like you said, when things started to merge and we could play against the Pats and the Strikers and and all these DA teams, and we noticed that we we were there. You know, it was just mostly a, a, a name, right? Don't get me wrong. Then you have the pro academies where, at U15 and up, it made a big difference. It still makes a difference. I think it should make a difference. They are the pro academy teams. But for us, was like like Drew said, we were able to keep up with these teams. And this team and these parents started recognizing that. Our parents, okay, we, we can compete against, you know, I'm, I'm going to start random teams, but the A teams, it made it easier for us to start keeping these players. So why are you going to go somewhere else? Why are you going to take a 30, 45-minute drive away from us when we can provide the same thing, right? And that's one thing that... that U.S. soccer, they say, uh, we only uh, scouted DA games or, you know, those MLS pro academies. And I think that's something that we're pushing forward now. It's like we have the talent in our clubs, the ECNL clubs. When trials come in or our players want to leave now, I think we, we're being honest. 
word we can tell these parents, you don't need to leave. We can give you guys, or you can give your parents the same thing that a DA team or another league now, right, will give you. And I think that has helped us keep a lot of players and just continue to to compete against these other, these other clubs. That's my main thing right now. I think uh, we're still going to continue to struggle at certain age group, U15s and up, to to keep our best, better, very best players. We're doing a good job. I think we a lot of our clubs are, are still believing that our, our families trust us. And I think that's one of the main things that we have built that trust by showing that we can compete against these clubs and they don't have to go elsewhere. Well, the pro pathway is certainly there. You know, it's, it's an opportunity in Southern California when you look at Galaxy, when you look at LAFC, the Sharks are certainly swarming, right? As, as you have a, a big player pool there and a lot of talent in those areas, the college side is just the same though, right? You have bigger numbers in terms of men's college soccer east of the Mississippi in this country than you do West Coast. But obviously these kids are all looking for an opportunity to go on and play at a higher level, whether they go to college and then pro or straight to pro, it's always about what's next, right? How do you take that from a club perspective? How do you help develop that mentality of a young player ever when you're looking at a young player that's 13 or 14 and LAFC or Galaxy are knocking on the door, right? How do you know that that player is ready for that trial opportunity? What are a few of the things that you look for in that player first? Well, for us, it's very important. So what we've been doing and, and Drew and I and the whole Legends Club is very open to it is whenever whenever LAFC shows up or Galaxy shows up to our door, we let these kids go in and, and train with that Galaxy or with LAFC. We let them go. We let them experience that and try to have that open conversation with them as much as possible so the coaches can really see it. Again, I think you under U15s, I'm going to use that one nice as an example. We went to Dallas Cup. We beat three MLS pro clubs, I want to say. So until then we can still see that there's, it could be physically, mentally, it could be a lot of um, development factors that we can still keep up. We're very honest with the families. We're very honest. We tell them, look, give us one more year. You know, just test it out. If you are U13, like, or 2010s uh, right now, give it one more year. We try to be transparent with the parents. We do try to send them to Galaxy or LAFC as much as possible so they don't, they don't feel like we are hiding them away. I can see the talent. I, I feel that I'm really good at it, but I, I cannot tell a kid you're not ready for it, go to LAFC, or you're not ready for it. So we try to work together. We try to keep it balanced, our training sessions, big tournaments. I don't think there's a magic word for me to say, yes, you're ready or not, but we try to work together. That's the thing. The families, LAFC, us, or Galaxy, whoever that might be, and just create a balance. It's a difficult situation for us because, again, we don't want to limit any kids. If, if there's a kid that has the talent to go pro, let's say in a year, and we do something that doesn't help this kid and, and then we become the problem or for the player not to go pro, I think we'll feel really bad about it. So it's a tough situation for us, but I think just creating that good relationship with the parents, the players, the club, and the trust is been helping us. And I think it's going to continue helping us. And I think that's something we all... A lot of the directors need to work on it and continue to create relationships. There's a level of honesty as well, right? We've, we've all experienced it in the game where you have to be honest with these players and with their families because it is a harsh reality sometimes that can smack a kid in the face when they realize that they're maybe not at that level. And on the club side, we need to make sure that we help get them ready for that level, whatever that level may be, college or pro. And in some cases, just enjoyment of the game, right? So at the youth level, you're trying to balance those things out in a highly competitive market where you have very different personalities within your field, right? You have uh, each team, you have different types of personalities that you have to manage because they each have different goals. I think generally we try to look at this on the boys' side, like all these kids want to be pros at the 13 and 14 age group and they all believe they can be. 
And then all of a sudden 15, 16, 17 rolls around and there's that transitional period where they're starting to figure out whether it's yes or no, or somewhere in between. And the club coaches and directors can be part of that, right? They can be part of the solution or part of the problem. Drew, you've, you've been involved in the college game. How do you have that conversation with players at the youth game when yes, they want to play for Stanford, but maybe their level is not Stanford or they want to go across the country to play at Duke and maybe they're just not ready and they're not at that level. How do you have that conversation, especially nowadays when you look at the number of international players in the division one game for men's, the, the transfer portal, the COVID years that are still kind of acting up, you know, how do you have that honest conversation with these players while keeping them motivated? It's just being honest, having that relationship with the kid. And, and the one thing we, we want to do is see a kid come in at, you know, U10, uh, U11 and start with legends and we see them out because then there is that trust in the parents that, Hey, look, we trust you. So I always tell our kids and I was a, a, a division one, division two guy. I started with the division one, ended with a division two and, and we preach and a lot of my coaches are division two coaches. So it's not always the best fit for you at a division one level. If it, then it would be a division two, II, division three, NAI. What we want to do is open every platform. You look at the Amherst, you look at Fordham, you look at all these different programs out there that will meet these kids criteria good academics, hard competitive teams, great conferences, different locations, like scholarship, whatever it is. So it's being honest with them, letting them know, hey, look, Stanford may not be the place, but there's all these hundreds of different schools that will meet that criteria. Again, we don't tell them you're not good enough. We just tell them if they don't come calling, there's all these other schools. And so like everyone was saying regarding the professional side of it, we also look in the in the college side, like we're not ever going to tell you you're not good enough. But if these coaches don't come, let's remember have these different lists, division one, division two, II, division three. And if it's 30 schools in an area that you feel that this is best for you, location wise, part of the country, then I think we're setting ourselves up for success. And then every once in a while, there's going to come a school that you didn't even think about. And it, it might be the one being honest, providing them a, an honest critique of their ability and where they sit and let them take it from there. Well, another good and insightful segment here with Drew Ray, Everett Ortaya from Legends FC in Southern California. We'll be back right after this break with our sponsors. ECNL Boys is partnering with Puma for the second year, driving sport forward with the leading products and the next generation of pros who wear them. Puma has proven themselves as the fastest sports brand in the world the fastest innovation, the fastest players, and the fastest products in the game. They're the perfect partner to complement the speed and talent of our teams. In keeping with their mantra of forever faster, Puma introduces the world's fastest boot, the Ultra. The only boot engineered for speed, the Ultra combines a woven upper with a lightweight outsole for direct forward motion, speed, and acceleration. It's the best in the game, designed for the best players in the game. Soccer.com is proud to partner with the ECNL to support the continued development of soccer in the U.S. at the highest levels. We've been delivering quality soccer equipment and apparel to players, fans, and coaches since 1984. Living and breathing the beautiful game ourselves, our goal at Soccer.com is to inspire you to play better, cheer louder, and have more fun. Visit Soccer.com today to check out our unmatched selection of gear, expert advice, and stories of greatness at every level of the game. And we are back with our final segment here, Breaking the Line, the UCNL podcast with Drew Ray and Everett Martaya from Legends FC in Southern California. So far, we've talked through a lot of the stuff regarding the club, 
the way that they're manipulating what they're doing within that club to be successful in a highly competitive market in Southern California and ECNL. Their days transitioning through the U.S. Development Academy into the ECNL in that market and just all the things that go on to helping players on to the next level. I'm going to turn this attention a little bit more toward you guys for this last segment, just understanding the dynamic of individuals involved in the game at a high level and, and those that are responsible for developing the, the generations here to come. But I'll start with you, Drew. Since I've taken this job, I've, I've gotten to know a lot of leaders in the game. You've been one of those guys for me in Southern California that's certainly made an impact. You were, were very welcoming to me when I took the position, which I certainly appreciated. But you continue to just hold, I believe, everything in a very high regard to what you're doing in that market. Leadership is shown in different ways from different people. I'm always intrigued by leadership and just what makes a good leader a good leader, right? And so when I look at you, I see that within what you've done in the game. So I'm interested, where does that come from, right? Where, from a leadership perspective, who's influential in your world and most shaped you for what you're doing now? I appreciate it, Jason. Let's just go back to my parents, I guess, they're teachers and educators, and it's about being courteous to the people in front of you. And no matter what level, I was a division two coach for assistant coach for 13 years under Joe Flanagan, won two national titles, lost in the finals of the girls and very successful guy. And the one thing that I always noticed with him is just anybody he came across, it was just a genuine, like, I, I'm going to learn from you and I, I want to get better. And uh, I think that's what I've done is I'm not the smartest guy in the room and I'll, I'll always admit that, but guys like ever, I, I put all my staff guys that I have around me that I learn from every day. I have to allow those guys to do what they're good at, which then allows me to do what I'm good at and making sure that our soccer brains are, you know, meet in the middle. And for me as a leadership, uh, this leadership role, is not something I sought after. I just, I fell into it just during pandemic. I was in the right place, right time. And I think just the many years of grinding as an assistant made me realize like what I would want and what I want to do. And the knowledge that I, I brought from, I learned from so many different people. I was at beach for a while at one of the most successful girls programs in the country. And I learned a lot from that staff, Mauricio and there's a guy, Steve Grace, behind the, the curtain there. And so I, I was very lucky there. And then under Josh Hodges, a, a fantastic mentor over the last couple of years and someone I've, I've grown to, to really love. And the one thing I love about that side of it is they allow you to do your craft. They don't get in your way. They let you make mistakes and, and be successful at the same time. And that's why I like working with Ever. It's like the two of us could talk all day soccer and I know he's grinding on his uh, his side and, uh, and on my end I'm, I'm going to do the same and I think that's the same with all our staff so I hope I, I'm leading in the right direction and I think we're doing a good job uh, but it, it's not just me it's the guys I got behind me it's it's a fantastic group of guys. So Ever when I when I first took this position the first thing I did was I went to uh, Colorado for the EN what well, at the time was the ENPL championships where the, the top ECNL and NPL clubs came together and it was an awesome event. One of my first memories of my involvement in ECNL was watching this crazy coach just get water bottles thrown all over him after a game, after a championship game. And here we are a few years later, and you're still a crazy coach. I haven't seen the water bottles thrown on you yet. I assume that I'll see that again, maybe this coming, this coming summer. But you, to me, kind of emote that, you know, players coach feeling, right? You, you are a guy that's very active with the players. You know the game. You love the game. It's very obvious in the way you coach. How important is that when you're taking together a bunch of different players from different cultures in Southern California, where you have a very a rich Hispanic influence there as well in the, in the player pool? How important is it that you can relate to these players on so many different levels when it comes to coaching them? 
Yeah, I remember that. That was fun in uh, Colorado. That's a great experience. One thing that I can say is I like to create a fun environment for the kids. And I call kids anyone under U18. I feel like they're, they're young kids. And I never ask for a kid or a team to win games because I think kids want to win games no matter what. For us, it's, for me personally, it's all about making sure the kids are enjoying the game. Like you said, it is fun. They creating, It's creating a little family with a lot of different ideas. And, and like I tell them all the time, is sometimes is you might not like or agree with what I'm doing or what I'm telling you guys, but I want you guys to respect the idea, right? Respect the concept. And it has worked. I mean, constantly, you know, I learned I learned this from having fun and enjoying from uh, like Drew had his mentor, had mine in a, in a kind of funny, different way from a great guy. His name is John Britton. So for him, I was it was I was fun, you know, having and making sure that we all understand the game. So I'm I'm there to be a guidance, a reference, a teacher, educator, not so much of a coach. Uh, that's that's how I look at it. Of course, we wanna we wanna compete and we wanna win trophies and and so on, but it comes as a it comes as a process, you know, like the O9 group last year, so close, right? But it was all a process. You know, we we played so many games, we played so many tournaments throughout and throughout every tournament, through every competition, we learned until we get there, uh, until we got to the national title. And even then when we lost, we we're not devastating in a way that the kids kind of give up and, and feel like failure and stuff like that. Because they want to win, we all want to win. But we understand it's a process. They only use their teams at that time. So they'll have six more years in order for them to win a, a title. And, you know, that's something I tell the parents, something I tell the kids. You win, you lose this national title maybe next year, right? And you have the whole World Cup thing with Messi, right? He he had his range. These kids are so young that we're trying not to add any stress to any of these kids. It's just fun. Enjoy the game. Yes, we're teaching and guiding within there. But the main thing is that the teaching them the is more to it than just, you know, just soccer is more to it. So that's that's my, you can say, personal philosophy in it. Uh, obviously, there's other things behind it that we try to do at, uh, at Legends with all the other uh, teams, but that's the thing, the fun part of it. We, we enjoy it and the kids enjoy playing. That's just what it is. Well, the World Cup just came to an end here, right? And, and what an end it came to, I suppose. The thing that was most interesting for me, having two young daughters, I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old, and they both love the game, but... You, know, you, you always look for takeaways in these moments, right? And so come out of the, the World Cup and I'm always interested to hear the commentary of my daughters when they're watching games and after games. And, you know, my, my youngest daughter loves to say Mbappe. That's like her favorite word to just <laughs> shout out in the middle. It can make no sense whatsoever, but she loves yelling it. My older daughter is starting to study, right? And she's starting to understand the different styles that this club or this country plays versus this country. And you know, why certain players are rolling around on the ground after barely getting touched and all of a sudden they're popping back to their feet. Like the, the little nuances of the game. I'm interested to hear from you guys, especially because you're in the club environment as well. And these players are coming to training sessions or games after watching some of these big matches. You know, now we are in that deflating period of our lives where World Cup is done and we have to get back to just regular mundane world. But what are your biggest takeaways from each of you from the World Cup? Like what what do you and when I say takeaway, how are you going to take away from the World Cup experience and apply to your club or apply to the players? Ever, why don't we start with you first? Like I tell the kids, is look at the way these professional elite players are making mistakes sometimes, right? And mentally, they already think about the next movement, the next action, the next thing. So that's for me, is like because sometimes I, sometimes I feel like in Southern California. The pressure and stress we add to these kids is is too much. They're not allowed to make a mistake. We want them to be perfect, and and one of you know one one of my messages to them is we're not perfect. We are gonna make mistakes, 
Uh, so that's one thing that I, I see them. I see the Modric, the Gavis, the Pedris, the little guys, you know, like the different kids, the technical players, the Mbappes, the Ronaldos. I'm a big Messi fan, obviously, but I want to make sure the kids are looking at, every, like you said, the whole thing, not just not just one team and not one one player in particular. We learn from a lot and just let them express themselves. You know, so many new kids came out around. Like right now, everyone's going to be talking, I think, about Julian Alvarez and Enzo Fernandez and all these other players, uh, the Croatian defender. So I think the kids are going to start watching that where they're gonna new heroes coming into their body to their senses now right so just make let them express themselves you know i'm not a guy that's gonna tell them you have to play like croatia or you have to play Bojom or it's just them realizing that there's there's so much out there uh they can be the next gavi or pedri or mbappe whoever that is that's just the one thing for me just the enjoyment of the game i mean just, you watch the final there's just so much emotions right like it was it was crazy that's for me the takeaway from the World Cup. Now, if we want to get into details, probably it could be another whole segment about this, but that's what I'm going to get, and that's what I'm going to make sure my kids, the, the players are understanding. But just to finish off is for them to understand this, elite players make mistakes, big-time mistakes at any level, right, at that level. So for them to understand that it's, it's normal, it's a learning process, and we continue learning throughout our life. That's that's my main message to them. What do you think, Drew? What a game to to have for a final. I think these kids are going to be talking about that for, for years to come. And if they if they are old enough to remember it, I, it's going to be hard to beat. But, you know, some of the things that we could take as a club and how we could use this to our advantage is you look at Morocco and, and what they did to get to that, that semifinal. There, there's, I mean, there's a couple of big names that you recognize now that, you know, you didn't even know they, they were on that Moroccan team, but there's a system. There's a desire and there's a unit a unity there that got them to the semifinals. It wasn't because they had this guy that was scoring 15 goals a tournament or whatnot, um, or the best goalkeeper in the world or best two center backs. It wasn't. It was a team. It was a team thing. And I think we could take advantage of that uh, and teach that to our kids. Like if we're on the same page and we're going off the same game plan, our success could be just unlimited, you know? And I think that's who we are as a club. We don't have the biggest kids. We don't have the strongest. We don't have the fastest. And if you watch us play, we're a very, very technical team, but we are a united group. That's the one thing ever was kind of talking about having fun, but with fun becomes a relationship. You know, these kids are, they're joking, high-fiving, hugging each other. When you see a score, it's not for the cameras. It's literally, they, they love each other. They love to play with one another. And, and again, back to the Morocco, I, we could take that as a, as, as something to push us forward and, and educate them that way. Well, you guys both have mentioned relationships and building those relationships. I can certainly say I've, I've appreciated building my relationship with both of you two. And, you know, certainly one thing that has stood out in the East, you know, over these last few years has just been the relationships of all the directors. You touched on it earlier, Drew, with the kind of the collaboration amongst those directors in Southern California and how tight knit the group is to share ideas and just get better, right? Everyone's just always working to get better. And I think this show and what we've been able to do with this show is bring on leaders that can share ideas, that can share visions and actually give and provide some detail as to how they get there. So I appreciate you guys joining us today. It was, a, it was another great episode. Certainly wish you all the best in the new year ahead with Legends. I know I'll, I'll see you guys in playoff time, I'm sure, and at some of the national events still to come. But really appreciated you joining us today on Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. 
Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Indeed. Thank you, Jason Cutney, and thank you, Drew and Ever, a fantastic edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. Once again, I'm Dean Linke. I also want to thank Andrea Wheeler, Christian Labors, Jen Winnego, Doug Bracken, all the great folks at the ECNL, and all of you, the great members, players, coaches, administrators of the ECNL. Finally, I need to thank our producer, Colin Thrash. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you in two weeks for another edition of Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. And on behalf of the ECNL, Happy New Year to all of you. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast. For more information on the ECNL, visit us at www.theecnl.com. And if you have a suggestion for the show or a great idea for a guest, please email us at info at theecnl.com. Breaking the Line, the ECNL podcast is an ECNL production. ECNL, more than a league.